0: Dear Sugar is supported by. The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. Sugar is here, the both of us, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Cheryl Strayed.
1: I'm Steve Almond. This is Dear Sugar Radio.
2: Oh, dear soul, won't you please? some little sweet days with me I check my mailbox every day Oh, and the sugar you see in my way
1: Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Steve. Cheryl, do you know what one of my favorite things, I have two favorite things about this show.
0: What are they?
1: Okay, the first favorite thing is getting to see my friend Cheryl Stray. <laughs> No, it is. Aww. I value that. It's, no, it's important true. to me, and it's, I'm not just saying that because you guilt trip me at breakfast. I genuinely mean it is something I look forward to. You can ask Aaron, the authority and all things Steve. I say oh, I get a chance to really hang out and talk with one of my pals, oh, and it thank means a you. lot to me. Okay? It's what's
0: rewarding to me about the show as well to hang out with you. No, no bullshit, but okay. The not point is no. that's, that's
1: just that's just the first thing that I really love. The second thing that I love is that I feel like as the show has evolved. It has become less of just a discussion between us, although we love that when it's happening, it's become a conversation with our listeners. And we know this because we get so many letters that are deeply reacting to the episodes we do. And we basically, at this point, if people are curious, how we decide on subjects for the show is what does our inbox tell us people are struggling with? What Mm -hmm. do they want us to put our heads towards?
0: Yeah. And often when we do an episode, Mm -hmm. people will say, well, I liked that, but you didn't answer yes. everything, that you didn't explore the mm-hmm. entire issue. Yes. And that's what's happened today.
1: That's what's happened today. Listeners will remember that we did uh, an episode on step-parents and their struggles. There were a lot of people who were very grateful, very glad that we talked about that. And there were a ton of people who wrote and said, you've really, it's great, but you're only telling half the story here. There is the step-child's experience.
0: Yeah, and we actually aired that stepmother. Episode twice because we did the original version Mm -hmm. and then we did one of our update episodes and then you know that brought in more emails to our inbox. In
1: fact, we talked in the step parent episode about we we got a letter from a woman called herself wicked stepmother who was feeling very ambivalent about her kids. I even a sense of dread. She just had a new baby and listeners will remember she was feeling like she was quite uneasy with her stepchildren, even having contact with her child and and having some dread around spending time with them and how to relate to them. And we talked with her later, and she'd made some progress when we talked with her on the phone, but it was still a real outstanding tension and issue. And we got a fascinating letter in response to the wicked stepmother's struggle from a letter writer who called herself 40, still piecing together a four year old's broken heart. And she wrote about the experience of being a stepchild with a step mother who she recognized from very early on was not just ambivalent, but sometimes openly hostile to her presence in the household. Uh, and I just want to read a little bit of it because it was such a powerful and important letter. She writes I would suggest that any step parent struggling with these feelings of subtle or overt repulsion toward their stepchildren urgently needs to work with a great therapist on how to find a way to authentically include, welcome, and embrace their stepchildren. It's important. I believe the voices of these young children need to be heard and even need to take precedence over their step parents' limitations or preferences, which I found fascinating. This may not seem fair to the step-parent that the onus is largely on them to create a warm and respectful relationship, but a parent of any kind can tell you that parenting is not an equal or fair relationship. Mm-hmm. And inside me was that standing ovation when somebody speaks a truth that our culture generally suppresses. Yes, you're right. The step-parents are the grown-ups here and young children deserve to be protected even from adults' honest feelings. I can't tell you how... Uh, I just rocked back in my chair when I read this letter because I thought, wow, we did a great job of trying to understand and advocate for a step-parent and what they step into, but maybe not so much for the stepchildren.
0: Well, it's interesting because, as we've said many times on this show, two opposing truths can be true at once. Right. You know, we talked to Wednesday Martin on that wicked stepmother um, mm-hmm. episode, she helped us. Frankly, she really enlightened me mm-hmm. because when I read that letter originally, I, I didn't have a lot of sympathy for the letter writer. I felt like she was, you know, being pretty harsh on on those stepkids of hers. And Wednesday was, you know, very unflappable and said, "Hey, welcome to the club. This is how it feels to be a stepmother." Yeah. And so that it gave me a new perspective. I think it gave a lot of listeners a new perspective. And of course, that truth. As valid as those feelings are, as true as they are, and as important as it is that she acknowledges them and yep. brings them into the light, it's also true that the kids in that situation or a situation like that, they they also have a truth. They need loving parents in their lives. They right. need people in their homes who are going to make them feel welcome and safe and not on the outside, but on the inside of that family fold. Right. And, you know, I I really, I think this is one of the most complicated Issues We've ever taken on on Dear Sugar Radio, mm-hmm. because, of course, what we're talking about is not just one whole family system, but two family systems coming together. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the, the biological parents or the adoptive parents, the, the, you know, the original parents in some ways, and then the new parents and then sometimes the new siblings. And it's full of, um, you know, in every direction. Every party has a different perspective, and yet they're all expected to mesh together. It's very painful.
1: Yeah. And so what we're going to do, really, for the rest of the episode is read a couple of letters from stepchildren, uh, adult now, but stepchildren, and try to look at the situation from their perspective. And we're going to have some uh, incredible help in that uh, mission from the wonderful author Jane Allison, who's going to join us a little bit later. But for now, let's, uh, let's hear this first letter.
0: Great. Dear Sugars... I'm a woman in my late 20s and recently became a stepchild. My parents divorced when I was 19. After returning home from my first year of college, I discovered my dad was having an affair and had front-row seats to their implosion. Within the next few years, he had developed an addiction, disowned me and my siblings, and disappeared from my life. My mother was devastated, and my siblings and I were left to pick up the pieces. Several years later, she was dating, It moved fast, like from meeting online to married in under a year. He seems to be a kind man and is good to my mom. She seems genuinely happy, and I'm thankful for that. But I cannot stand him. He tries so hard with me and my siblings. It irritates me, and then I feel childish for being irritated. Every conversation is about how much he loves my mom and cherishes her. How he has this, quote, unconditional love for me. And I'm like, dude, slow down. Do you have any hobbies? What's your favorite color? It feels fake, forced, and frustrating. When he talks, I have to resist the urge to make retching noises. I think he has the best of intentions, but it's way too much. Even more than the emotional overstepping, his very existence is the reminder to me of so many griefs in my life. My parents' divorce, my father's abandonment, the fact that my family will never be what it once was. I've tried to talk to my mom about my fears and sadness, and she responds one of two ways. One, ignoring my feelings and moving on, or two, crashing into guilt and tears about how she's a terrible mother. Then I end up comforting her and feeling guilt-ridden for sharing how I feel. I feel like I'm losing the only parent I have left. What do I do with this pain? My mom can't hear it. She doesn't want to hear it. She can't manage her own guilt, and then I'm left alone in my grief. I know it's not his fault, but I had no choice in any of this, and the place I once called home no longer exists, and he's there painting a fairy tale when I have come from a nightmare, and I don't buy it, and I can't stand it, signed, Step Whatever.
1: Mm -hmm. And you're right. Step Whatever. You're right. This is such a powerfully self-aware person, Mm -hmm. Um, and here's the deal. You didn't have a chance to grieve the loss of your family. And your mom, in her quest for happiness and stability, and probably she was quite unhappy for quite a number of months, she got married and found somebody else. And, you know, your stepfather is painfully aware of your mom's past and that she was betrayed and hurt and that so are you. And so he's overdoing it. And you also feel rightfully that your mom has abandoned you. It's not just your dad who blew up the family. It's your mom not being able to deal with the fact that you're not over it and you need to, you know, feel more grief and feel that you're not alone in it. She is uh, even to a greater extent, really, than your stepfather who's, in the situation, but new to the situation, she's the person who's not at a moment you really need her to being your mom and Mm -hmm. saying, I get that this was painful for you. And I needed to find my own happiness, but it happened so quickly, you didn't really have a chance to grieve. And it's interesting, Cheryl, she, you know, this all happened when she was 19. And in some ways, as we know, you know, trauma kind of freezes the psyche and the heart in a particular phase. So to some extent, step whatever, even though you're clearly so thoughtful and self-aware, you're kind of frozen in this teenage petulance mm-hmm. of saying, get away, pal, get a job. I want a wretch, you know, you, even the way you talk about it. And mm-hmm. I don't blame you for a second. You're absolutely right. I don't buy it and I can't stand it. And I was like, hell yeah, you don't. But you do have to find a way to tell your mom, you have to be my mom. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I I think that step whatever... I don't think that, that you really need to process this with your mother and stepfather. Hmm. You know, I think the person you need to heal is yourself. Because, you know, you, you say you're in your late 20s. The divorce was when you were 19. So it sounds like you've gone the better part of a decade, essentially having to adjust to this new way of being, your, your new family structure. And it's full of sorrow, and it's full of pain and anguish. And, and now you know that your mom has moved on and found happiness more quickly than you'd like with a man who doesn't behave exactly the way you prefer, it's brought all of that sorrow and loss front and center to you. The answer isn't that your mom says, okay, because it causes you pain that I'm married to this super sweet guy, I'm going to leave him. And the answer isn't the super sweet guy. You know, I mean, I I get it that you would want him to adjust his behavior, but I don't really think that that's the problem. Yeah. You know, I relate to this so much because, you know, longtime listeners of the show will know my mom died when I was 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my stepfather, who I loved like a father, pretty quickly got involved with another woman. And even though the scenario, you know, I, there wasn't an affair and a divorce and all that, there was a death. But suddenly there was another woman sleeping in my mother's bed. I don't know any other way to say it. And it was very, very, very difficult. You know, the fact of their relationship in so many ways brought up, you know my profound loss and also the truth was that my family would never be the same again and in fact right. it never was the same again here mm-hmm. we are 25 years out from that mm-hmm. and so i what i'm going to encourage you to think about stuff whatever is you know your mom is remarried and she's happily remarried and the guy sounds like a pretty decent guy even though he's a bit insufferable but <laughs> but what but what <laughs> Let's you Let's roll the tape back on that. Causing, decent guy but insufferable. All right. But, but what's causing you to suffer? is is your it's just simply your sorrow and your and your righteous grief. Mm-hmm. You know, you wanted your parents to stay married to each other. You wanted mm-hmm. the life of your childhood to continue into your adulthood. Mm-hmm. And and it hasn't. And yeah. that is really painful. But you do have to find a way to accept it.
1: Well, what what you see very clearly and where the um what's quite striking which almost gets left behind when all the focus is on the the step that is within the next few years my dad had developed an addiction disowned me and my siblings mm-hmm. and disappeared from my life so you're furious but you got the wrong guy you got the wrong suspect and we know this is what happens with our anger when we when the source of it up and leaves then it's it doesn't disappear it just has to get displaced onto somebody else so there's your sweet, slightly insufferable. I would not say he's insufferable, right. but, you know, that here's this guy who's trying too hard. And I guess what I would say is that I agree, Cheryl, that, that for you, Step Whatever, the work to be done is within yourself. And it sounds like you already have been doing some of that work. And this letter is the product of having done some of that work. But it's important to be honest with your mom and with your stepfather in simply saying to them, I'm not really over what happened. Mm -hmm. Please stop pretending that I am or that if you pretend you're over it or if you even are over it, that you're going to transmit that to me because that is only making me feel neglected and left alone on the island of monstrous grievance and anger. And I don't expect you to fix it, but you need to be aware that you trigger it when you guilt trip me or you try too hard. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's good advice. And I think one of the hardest things about becoming a stepchild or, or, you know, seeing suddenly seeing your parents, you know, love other people, is, you know, it, it really is the kind of the end of a dream. And I remember feeling very clearly, I even said this to my stepfather, mm. I'll never have another mother, but you can have another wife. Yeah, wow. And so in some ways, I mean, obviously, I think we can never replace the You know specific people, but in in categorically we can. It is true that I never had another mother, and it is true that he did have another wife. Mm -hmm. And I think step whatever part of this anger you're feeling towards your stepfather is that you see that that's happened, that your mom really has moved on and she has a new marriage, but you don't have a new dad. Right. And part of your anger about him saying things like "I love your mother" and "I love you unconditionally" is you don't want a new dad. Right. You're still. Wounded by your own. Right. So, you know, I think that one of the the beautiful things that could happen, if we've still got this podcast in, in a decade, right. I'm going to beg you to write to us. right? Because one of the things that, that could happen is that when you do heal that father wound, and you do heal the wound of your family exploding, that, you know, you could find that, you, that this man who's married to your mom could be somebody that you do love. Mm-hmm. And he's never going to be your dad, but he might be somebody pretty important in your life down the road yeah you know he might be the grandfather to your children that that if you have kids you know he might be um become family um but i think that you first have to heal your own wounds yeah and stop focusing on him and how much he tells you he loves you and start focusing on your own Mm -hmm. sorrow we wish you luck write to us in 10 years So, Steve. Yeah, I am really so looking forward to talking to our guest. We yeah. have a really interesting guest to speak to this subject. Mm-hmm. Jane Allison is the author of the memoir *The Sisters' Antipodes*, which tells the story an amazing story Mm. of a complicated childhood in which her parents switched partners with another couple. Yeah. Makes my head spin. Yes. She's also a professor and the director of creative writing in the English department at the University of Virginia. Mm. She has a brand new novel out called Nine Island, and she's one hell of a writer. Yes, she is. Let's call her. Let's do it. Hello, this is Jane. Hi, Jane. This is Cheryl Strayed. I have Steve Almond here, too. Hi, hi, Cheryl
2: and Steve. Good to talk to you.
0: So, Jane, we're doing an episode, as you know, on stepchildren, and we were so struck by your story, and we wondered if you'd first just share with our listeners, um, you know, what, what what happened to you as a kid
2: so when I was four, my parents, who were Australian diplomats, met back in Australia a couple who were US diplomats. And both families had two little girls who were the same ages. And the two younger girls uh, were my stepsister-to-be, Jenny, and myself. Um, so we had not only a very similar name, but also we had the same birthday. and. Um, these couples were totally besotted with each other and and very quickly, in a matter of months and certainly less than a year, um, they realigned. And so my father then was going to begin a new life with a new American wife and his two American stepdaughters. And my sister and I would go with our mother, uh, you know, so the Australians and follow this new American stepfather. So um, there was this mirrored situation. Both both couples actually ended up having little boys within a week of each other, so it got <sighs> even more, more perfect. <laughs> uh, so now we had half-brothers between us two. But for seven years, because this was back in the late 60s, early 70s, and the world was different, so we didn't talk on the phone and we didn't see each other. And there was a lot of space in those years of distance to just have, I'll speak for myself obviously, fantasy and jealousy and longing because the way I could see it, Um, i had a stepfather who might look at me but he was looking through me Mm -hmm. to my little parallel Mm -hmm. and meanwhile on the other side of the world you know there was another little girl who had my father and at a certain point, you know, we changed our names, we took on our stepfather's name, the other girls took on our father's name, um, we became American, they became Australian, uh, we acquired American accents, they acquired our Australian ones, so we just inverted, our identities were very uh, flexible and what it felt like to me was we were just so replaceable, You know, perfectly replaceable. Hmm. And at the end of these seven years, when I was 11, just about turning 12, uh, we all landed on the same continent. And so we were in DC and they were up in New York And by now, the second marriage my mother had with with the stepfather had had failed. So things were shifted a bit in that we weren't parallel anymore. We were now, it felt to me, weaker (laughs) because we had a wonderful but struggling single mother and, um, you know, with a stepfather across town with his new girlfriend. And then we'd go up to New York to see our uh, father, you know, for the first time with his, his family living much more luxuriously. So it was it was very complicated and and really kaleidoscopic relations because it was not just a matter of of dealing with, say, a new a new step parent, but the fact that the new stepmother had been married to our former stepfather, and now he was not even married to our mother anymore. So it felt. As if there was uh, like seven different points of relationship to try and manage all of it very political, and I felt like a kind of little somewhere between a, a diplomat and a spy shuttling up and, hmm. and down between New York and, and Washington, you know because everyone was very interested to know how the other household was doing, and in this mm-hmm. case, there were three households, and I would have information to all. but um, one thing that that was most difficult for me was the sense I had of great loyalty to my mother who was alone in Washington and trying to find work and keep the house together and all that. And this very beautiful, glamorous, talented, brilliant stepmother um, who was enormously attractive to me, but also frightening.
0: Do you remember when your parents sat you down and said, not only are we getting divorced, but we're going to switch with this couple that I presume you knew by
2: then, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't remember it. And that's because it didn't happen. I mean, they may have said something to my sister who was two and a half years older, but I was four. And so I think the emotional whirlwind was so great for all the adults that I, I, I don't know. I don't I just don't think we were part of the the equation just yet.
0: Were the fathers grief-stricken? I mean they, I, you know, all the kids went with the moms, right? How did they in, in the years that followed? How did your father talk to you about what happened, or how did your stepfather talk to you about what happened? Um, I'm, I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> they
2: didn't talk <laughs> wasn't at that all. Much. Oh my there, there wasn't that much. There wasn't that much talking. Yeah. I mean, they could well have been grief stricken. I didn't. I didn't really see it. I think my stepfather missed his own daughters mm-hmm. terribly, but he was also a very hard man. And one problem that was actually one of the central parts for me was that I was sort of able to and very much wanted to take her place in his eyes and please him. So you know, I did that, which led to a great deal of, of guilt because you know he enjoyed, I think, having a, you know, a substitute little little girl who would act clever and and so on. Wow. I mean, it's a, it's a desperation. I mean, you you need the love, and and if it looks as though it might come from this quarter, even if it's the wrong quarter, you know, you'll take it. And and I think in in our case, it was also um, the fact that the fathers not only I think looked to for instance my stepfather would look at my sister and me but see through us to his own missing girls mm-hmm. but then he'd probably see through them to the woman who who left him and the same thing would be reversed with my own father who would see in us our mother who you know in some way must have betrayed him or done something so we're all standing for something that we're not and for much more than than we can possibly stand for in this in this uh, ecology that's not right yeah. yeah
0: and i think i mean obviously you have an uh, quite an extreme case. Uh, I, I've never heard one quite like this, honestly. But as we know, you know, it's, it's, being a stepchild or being a step parent uh, is, a, is a really common experience. And I think that the hardest part of it at root is that, you know, the essential truth of what is a family is this little group of people where everyone belongs and everyone belongs to each other, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the minute we have a step situation, whether it be stepmother, stepfather, stepchildren, siblings, is that you're suddenly, the question is always, who belongs and who do I belong to and who belongs to me? Yeah. And, you know, the answer was very complicated for you, right? I mean, you you both had your stepfather and didn't. How did you make sense? I mean, will you talk to that that sort of insider-outsider, belonging-not-belonging feeling?
2: Well, in the case of of our family, he was our father until he left, and that was only about six years into the marriage with my mother. Mm-hmm. So I think that made us in that case feel, you know, we had the working mother who was struggling and, and no father in the house and considerably less money. So I think we felt, or I for sure, for sure felt, just outsider altogether. And then to go to the, you know, A, the household of my father in New York and and see this, you know, very luxurious place and the girl's so kind of comfortable and his mm. beautiful, brilliant wife and all of that. And then to go to our, our stepfathers because we would see him when he would bring his own girls down. And wow. so we'd be really in the wrong place in that apartment. There was a lot of feeling of outsiderness on, on my part. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there were some wonderful things. I mean, my, my stepmother, even though she was... She was, she was she was not easy for me to get along with at all, but she introduced me to things that have been incredibly important. Yeah. Art. I mean, she took me to museums. She took me to art classes. She gave me art supplies and art books and really encouraged. Um, I'm not actually ultimately that good at art, but it was sort of in the <laughs> right direction because I ended up writing. You became an artist. Um, yeah. In some way, yeah. And, and that was because of her. And I was really grateful to her for that. And my stepfather, even though it was the wrong kind of relationship to have cherished, you know, he did encourage me to be good at school and to be competitive and to get things done. And, um, and that was really valuable. So even in the, you know, even in this sort of terrible portrait I'm painting, there were ways that people who might not have, I don't know what their intentions were, but the consequences in many ways were were really good for, for building a young person.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about your step uh, sisters?
2: The stepsisters, uh, the relations were never good. The one with my uh, parallel Jenny was was at times very, very intense. We could be very close but then very, very competitive with each other and she ended up becoming a, a heroin addict and did not survive mm. so I'm sorry. she she died about ten years ago yeah mm-hmm. so that was an absolutely tragic end to one one side of the story mm. mm-hmm.
1: Well, we want to uh, get your mind and heart on a uh, on a second letter uh, in which the, the dynamics, I would say, are a little bit less Byzantine than yours, but I think some <laughs> of them are familiar. So um, if, if it's all right, um, let me read this letter. Dear Sugars, at the conclusion of your first episode with the wicked stepmother, I was in tears. My mother died of cancer when my sister and I were young, and shortly after, my father remarried. Because my mother died when I was so young, I viewed my stepmother as my mother growing up. Looking back, it is very clear that she did not view me as her child. My stepmother was strict, demanding, and difficult. At a young age, my sister and I were required to clean the house to perfection. If something was sticking out of a drawer, she would dump the contents on the ground for us to clean up. When we had to do a family tree project in school, she made my sister and I write down her family history as our mother's side. She told me that she gave birth to me and was in labor for 13 hours, even though as a child I knew this was a lie. As my teenage years approached, we fought more. I talked back to her and acted like a typical teenager. She told me I was stupid and that there was no point in me going to college even though I had a full-ride scholarship. She would scratch me, push me down the stairs, and pinch me. Two weeks before my high school graduation, she sent me to live in the detached garage of our very expensive house in our affluent neighborhood. She would not let me inside of the house, not even to use the restroom. I had to go outside in the grass. For eight years, I had absolutely no contact with my stepmother. She would not allow her children to talk with me, and I was not allowed at family functions. Last year, my father put his foot down and decided I would be welcome back into our immediate family. It's not been easy for me. I do not like being around my stepmother. It stirs up bad memories. Her subtle abuse continues, with her sending me emails saying things like, Just try to be happy. I know it's hard for you. When we've been together as a family, it's been hard for me to see how differently my stepmother treats her own children. I love my half-siblings, but my sister and I are very different from them, and we were raised in very different circumstances. Do you have any suggestions or tips for navigating this situation? I've always had a good relationship with my father and my sister and would like to spend time with them and my half-siblings together. We have so many more memories to be made graduations, weddings, families of our own. I don't want to be excluded from my own family anymore. How do I let go of the anger I have towards my stepmom? How do I learn to be around her and laugh off her behavior rather than be silently outraged by it, signed, tired of being Cinderella?
0: Oh, that's a painful letter.
1: Yeah. And it underlines this question of, well, what if you have a step-parent who isn't not just disinterested or distracted or longing for, uh, you know, their own biological children, but is actually threatened and antagonistic.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, my first thought, I don't know how helpful it would be, but I sometimes think that we expect too much resolution in this world and maybe especially in America. And sometimes there isn't resolution. There isn't a way to kind of hug and make everything better. I think sometimes to still be angry is, 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 is appropriate, but mm-hmm. you don't wanna, you wanna be able to live with it is the main thing. So when she says, how do I let go of the anger? I know that I was able to find my way out of most of my feelings, um, the kind of most sort of um, detrimental ones, by mm. by writing. I mean, I was able to write and write and write and write and finally write a book. And then, not that it was really cathartic, but it just I was tired of it. I was sort of sick of all those <laughs> and all those feelings. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know what she has available to her in that regard, but. One thing she could do is try and convert the anger to something else you know like try maybe by writing maybe writing more letters like this, maybe a an ongoing imaginary letter that she never even is going to send to anybody to her father or to her stepmother mm-hmm. um, could be a way to start placing it somewhere else that's not right in her head all the time and i and I was wondering also whether she's in a, she's a grown up now why can she possibly just create some more rules and boundaries of her own now, I mean, if this woman was so powerful to her when she was young, mm-hmm. now you know things are are more equal, and can she determine when she will be at events and when she wishes to see only only her father or only her half siblings, and can she also just accept that her anger is is valid and it's not gonna it's not going to go away, it just has to be managed,
1: yeah, I wonder Jane you know as I was reading the letter, I was thinking about. I was so struck by the absence of the father and I and I wondered you know if you could speak to that a little bit because I kept saying you know Where's dad during all this? Yeah, where's dad
0: when she's peeing in the grass?
1: Or when she's pushed down the stairs, or when, even more pointedly, and this really does speak to your story so powerfully, Jane, when her stepmother is appropriating a birth story Mm -hmm. that she didn't experience and a family history, trying to erase her mom from the book, The Family Tree, each of these points I was saying, where is The dad. Yeah. Why is the dad, because she says, I've always had a good relationship with my father and my sister and I'm saying, no sale.
0: Yeah, that surprised me, that (laughs) line, because I I had the same questions.
1: Yeah. So I guess my question for you would be, you're fiercely loyal to the, custodial parent, the parent who's still in your life, who for you was your only parent, you know, after your stepfather and she split. So you're fiercely loyal, and kids are essentially in a position of powerlessness, and they're trying to find that sense of belonging. So maybe... Tired of Cinderella, part of what you were doing is trying to say, well, I can't push my dad away and if I get if if I make too big a fight with my stepmother, I might lose my dad. Do you think that's why she isn't better able to reckon with her dad's negligence here?
2: I think that sounds that makes a lot of sense, but I wonder if it's now time to do something. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, when she says that she's always been very close, all of the things that you just said, I'm thinking no, 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 nope, not seeing that. I mean, I'm glad that that is what she feels because that means there's something obviously very, very good there. But no, where was he? I, I don't, I don't understand how how he could have been so passive. And I do think that that seems to be the main relation she might want to try and kind of uncover a little bit. And also, I'm I'm curious about the half siblings because they've been witnessing all kinds of things, and they probably love her. And I mean, I don't know what happens when you talk to them. Like if they. Feel that they have been witnesses if they can offer anything.
0: Mm-hmm. We in this last letter we discussed step whatever you know. The first part of her letter is all about how this man her her mom married is so terrible because he says I love you unconditionally and then, you know and then, <laughs> and, and, and we're like but wait it's actually the dad you're mad at and you know and I think that when she says when Cinderella writes how do I let go of the anger I had towards my stepmom yep. well first of all I do think that that anger is, is valid just like you said Jane I mean this is a woman Cinderella who was abusive to you. And, you know, in the, the hard part about step families is when your abuser is still, you know, a member of the family, you do need to, to make the decision. Am I going to set a boundary and say, because I don't want contact with that abuser, I therefore will not have contact with other family members who I do love and value? And I think that it sounds like that you don't want to make that decision. So to me, I think that that next thing you need to do is say, well, who was the person who was supposed to protect you? Bingo. And he did not do that. And even though you've, all, you've had a good relationship, we don't understand the, the nature of that relationship, but we'll believe you that you say that you've had a good relationship. I don't, I don't, yeah. But to me, that means you need to open it up and say, okay, Dad, I'm so glad you've now, after eight years, invited me back into the family. After <laughs> years before that of witnessing this woman be cruel to me and my sibling, now you've welcomed me back. But, but in order to welcome me back, I need some things. I need for you to take responsibility for failing me as Mm -hmm. a father and not protecting me and loving me as you should have, not standing up to your spouse when she treated me badly, and to have some reckoning
1: with that. Mm -hmm. And part of what I think is so instructive about Jane's having written this beautiful, long, searching, painful book is that she's saying, actually, I need to tell my story and not have it written out of the family account. And so to whatever extent, and you can't always get, your dad's not necessarily gonna consent to say, I now will hear your story. And I hear that it's valid and, and it makes certain demands on my conscience. I need to apologize, I need to recognize it. He might not consent to that. And your stepmother m- mother might not, but it still might be vital for you to say, I actually need this story to be put in front of my father. There's no way you're going to be able to be happy functioning if you feel like the truth of your life hasn't been, you haven't been allowed to express it to the person who matters most to you.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and you can begin by saying, listen, I have compassion for you. It must have been so hard to lose my mom. I understand why you found somebody else to love. I understand why you wanted that relationship to work. And maybe part of doing that was that you had to essentially abandon me and my sister, but let's talk about it, you know? And maybe if you show some compassion for him and his perspective, uh, he'll show some compassion for yours.
2: And I think um, also, I think that could she, I wouldn't underestimate the power of writing a letter yeah. because sometimes, especially for this person, for, for Cinderella, you you know, your, your conflict, you want to avoid conflict, it's, it's difficult. And sometimes in person, it can be even more difficult. So since you do write a beautiful letter, you could consider that as your as your first approach. Just to give very quickly my own example, when I finally was ready to publish a, a, the book about my family, because I felt exactly what, what Charles was just saying, you know, it's time to tell your own story. I had to tell the family that I was going to publish this book, and there was great pushback. Mm-hmm. And my father actually said, you don't have the right to write this book, and if you do, we won't read this book. And it was a terrible moment. But then after several months, he came around and asked me to send him the book, (laughs) which I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he read it, and then his wife read it. And even though she and I are no longer in touch, we we do wish each other well. And he ended up telling me it was a beautiful book Mm -hmm. and was moving. And he didn't agree with everything, but why would he? Um, And I've seen him since then. So, I mean, you know, you can sometimes find something good on the other side of doing something very, very painful that does rip the cover off. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: Jane, I... I I know that to be true in my own life and and also my own writing. And Cinderella, I do think that this is a really powerfully important moment in your life. You wrote to us because you seek to change your relationship, not so much with your stepmother, I think, but with your father. And I hope you'll be brave enough to go there.
1: Mm -hmm. Jane, thank you so much for both telling your story and helping us get a little clarity on our letters. It's been such a pleasure. And, and as Cheryl said, your writing is just spectacular. I, I hope uh, lots of people will find your work, not just the Modern Love column, which we'll post on our website, but of the sisters' antipodes and your new novel.
2: Thank you for having me. And I, and I wish Cinderella and Step Whatever all the best as they navigate everything.
1: Mm.
0: Thank you. Bye, Jane.
2: Bye.
1: Take care. So, here we are. Well, you know, I feel like I have to say, sometimes we want belonging so deeply that we're willing to lie to, yeah. to ourselves and to other people. But one of the things that we talked about as we were thinking about this episode and preparing, Cheryl, is sometimes you realize you reach a point and the best outcome is you realize, I don't want to belong to these people. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we're we're addressing letters from people who are struggling um, as stepchildren today. But, you know, there are so many happy stepchildren stories out there. And I want to just acknowledge that to all the listeners. There are sometimes, there are great stepmothers and great stepfathers who fulfill wonderful roles in our lives. Right. And that was my stepfather for my, the all the years of my, you know, from 10 onward until I was 22 and my mom died. And then suddenly this thing that I thought was true,
1: You belong to him, he belongs to you. That's right. Suddenly
0: it became not true pretty devastatingly fast. And I have to say, you know, more than 25 years out from that, it's been a really painful journey. Mm. It's been many, many, many chapters, and none of them told the story I wanted it to tell. And I did have to um, finally close the book. And I've just done that, actually you know, really recently. And, and and that it was full of all of the things, you know, the challenges that Cinderella had to face and that stuff, whatever had to face and the other letters that were in our inbox, you know, the complexity of having to figure out if you belong or not, and sometimes having to understand that you don't. Yeah. That, you know, you can say that didn't turn out so well and I, we have to let each other go.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's not a great outcome, but it's better than leading a kind of false life.
0: Exactly. Cinderella and Step Whatever, we wish you well. Yeah. Dear Sugar Radio is produced by WBUR in Boston. We're produced and edited by Amory Sievertson. We're recording at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon, my hometown. Mm-hmm. Josh Millman is our engineer. Our theme music is by the Portland band Wonderly. Vocals are by Liz Weiss. Please subscribe to Dear Sugar on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dear Sugar Radio.
1: Yeah.